Without giving too much away, how many of you have been in a checkout line recently, and as you were checking out, the clerk asked you, would you like to buy the extended warranty for an additional nineteen ninety nine or whatever that number is? How many of you have actually heard that since you've been out Christmas shopping? Yes, several people have been Christmas shopping and have come across that. You know, I'm not always sure what to say when they ask me that. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what to do. They ask me that question. Sometimes I buy the dumb warranty. Sometimes I don't. I never, I never know which way I should go. But the problem is that I'm just afraid that I'm going to buy whatever this thing is at Best Buy and I'm going to take it home. And when I get home, it's not going to function the way that it was designed to function as soon as I get it home and get it out of the box. Anybody else afraid of that? I mean, that's how I am. I'm just afraid that that's what's going to happen. And I'm afraid that I'm going to try and take it back, and they're going to say, sorry, it's not under warranty. You should have bought the extended warranty. It seems like there's always a good reason to invalidate a warranty or to void a warranty. How many of you have ever bought a pillow or a mattress, and you see that little tag on there that says, warranty is invalid if this tag is removed? Have you ever seen that? I mean, what does that even mean? Isn't that the strangest thing? I mean, what does me removing that dumb little tag do to the mattress or the pillow that I have bought from Walmart or wherever I've gone? I I can't imagine why that would cause my warranty to be voided. I was reading about some sports cars whose warranties are voided if you race them. Like, well, what's the point of having a race car or a sports car if you can't go out and, you know, get when you're at the stoplight from time to time, you, you know, you want to stretch its legs. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what's the point of having that? But, the, you know, you want to know, you want to be careful just right up front that your warranty may be void if you're racing one another. I also saw the manufacturer of a particular phone whose warranty said that the phone was warrantied against accidental exposure to water unless the phone was dropped in the toilet. Let's face it, if your phone is exposed to water, it's because you've been playing with it while you were using the toilet and you dropped it, isn't it? I know it's true. (laughs) I know how many times have you just at the last second snatched your phone away before it fell in the toilet? That's the way it happens. And I found a bicycle manufacturer who said that their warranty is void if the bicycle is not properly assembled. I want you to think about that for a minute. Warranty is void if the bicycle is not properly assembled. And I think I can appreciate that, can't you? I mean, some bikes, you know, if you're some guys get on a bike and they'll ride it up to 30 miles an hour. If you're like Caden and Kyle back there, you might be able to get your bike up to 40. But I can imagine how it would cause problems if the wheels aren't properly aligned and how it might cause the wheel bearings to have problems if the wheels are, are wobbling or whatever. Can you imagine that? I mean, you're going that fast. It could cause all kinds of problems. For example, if you have maybe the, the little brake pads that are rubbing against the the rotor on the wheel of the bike, you could cause some damage. I can understand that. And I guess under those conditions, if you have assembled the bike in a way that was improper, it would be unfair to expect that the manufacturer would warranty their work, right? It wouldn't be unfair to expect that the manufacturer might pay for the damages. And so what happens then is the manufacturers of these bicycles take some extra precautions to ensure that their bicycles are properly assembled. Well, one way for them to do that 
is to sell their bicycles through authorized distributorships or through authorized dealers. That way, the manufacturer of the bicycle can have a little bit of control, right? What they can do is they can say, well, uh, we'll allow you to be a distributor or a dealer for our bicycles, but we have to make sure that the bicycle is properly assembled before you allow this bike to make it out to the consumer. And so what they'll do is maybe they'll require that a particular dealer or a particular business owner may become, in order to become an authorized dealer, they may have to go through a certain amount of training to know how to properly assemble a bicycle. Or maybe when they ship the bicycle to the dealer, they might include a set of instructions or a a print or a, a blueprint of some sort or some sort of paperwork that would help the dealer to know how to properly assemble the bicycle. Maybe the manufacturer would require a dealer to have a certain type of tool or certain, maybe even a brand of tool to assure that the dealer has the right equipment to properly assemble the bicycle. But if the bike isn't properly assembled, according to the manufacturer's plans, if it doesn't meet the standard, the manufacturer's not going to support it, will he? Why would he warranty it if it wasn't assembled according to the instructions? I mean, if the dealer decides at some point that he's going to use his own braking system, if he decides that he's going to use a system other than the manufacturer's, if he decides that he's going to build a bike using his own special design or his own parts, the manufacturers are not going to support the assembly of those bicycles. And they're probably at some point going to pull the dealership or the licensure from that dealer, don't you think? I mean, you can't assemble the manufacturer's product with your own systems and by your own standards and expect that the manufacturer will back it up if something happens. Because the manufacturer has designed and he has engineered the product, and if it is not assembled correctly, it won't function the way that it was designed. Does that make sense? So if you're planning to buy a bicycle for your loved ones for Christmas, just... Keep that in mind, okay? You might want to remember that. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here, from the mouth of Jesus, we have an iron-clad guarantee. And it says that if the church of Jesus Christ is to be established, if it is to be formed, so that the gates of hell and the powers of hell will not overcome it, Jesus Christ says, I will build it, and it will last, and it will not be overrun by the powers of hell. And if Jesus cannot do that, if his church does not exist, if his church does not make it through all of the trouble that the gates of hell would throw at it, then Jesus Christ is a fraud. If Jesus Christ is incapable of fulfilling that promise, then why would we trust that he would be capable of fulfilling any promise that he has made to us? Think about that. If he lies about one thing, then we can't believe any of it. But I want you to know, that he has completely fulfilled the promise of Matthew 16. You can know that he has completely fulfilled his promise to build the church. I want you to know that he will continue to build his church. I want you to know that his church will continue to be a powerful and effective witness to the world until Jesus Christ returns. You can be sure of it. It's an ironclad guarantee. As we move forward from this point in the book of Acts... Through the rest of the book, we're going to see 
Jesus fulfill that promise in the book of Acts. We're going to see Jesus fulfill that promise as we move through the rest of the book of Acts. And we're going to watch as this little church, which began in the house of Mark's mom with 120 people, instantly becomes a mega church in the city of Jerusalem. And we are going to watch as it ultimately makes its way all the way around the entire world. I have to tell you that when we planted Root River Church here in Franklin, we were all excited about that. Many of you were, were with us and many of you participated from the very beginning. And I have to tell you that when we planned to do that, every church planters conference that we attended, every strategy session that we were ever a part of asked the question, how do we design our church? Listen, how do we design our church to be most effective at ministering to the needs of our community? How do we build our church so that people can look at us and see that our church is alive? How do we build our church so that people can look at us and see that we are making a difference? We are a church that is alive. And then they begin to develop ideas and programs and ministries around those goals. Let me ask you, don't you feel that we need to acknowledge that the 21st century church seems to be facing a great deal of opposition from the gates of hell. Have you seen that in the last months? I mean, we've mentioned it recently. For those of you who have missed our our virtual gathering, uh, even just last week, we mentioned briefly some of the struggles that today's church faces. Everything from COVID to mask policies to politics, matters of social justice, all of these things tear at the very fabric of the church. All of these things work together in an attempt to prevail against the church. You can see it right now. You can see it all around you. People leave over simple things. People leave over things such as masks and over things such as COVID policies. All of these things, friends. And as many churches across the world struggle, we have to acknowledge that we do not know what the future holds for many of them. Over the years... We've seen churches planted, we've seen churches come, we've seen doors closed, and we've seen churches go, haven't we? And it seems that there's no guarantee that any one of them will exist at any point in the future. There's no guarantee. But friends, hear me when I tell you this. Jesus Christ promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want you to know that under any circumstance, you can count on the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is going to continue. It will not be overpowered by the efforts of hell, no matter how great they are. But friends, listen, there is something very, very important that we need to understand here. Jesus said, I will build whose church? I will build my church, he says, doesn't he? I will build my church and the gates of hell, friends, will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. It's an iron clad guarantee. But, and this is so important, listen, 
if church planners, if church strategists, if church pastors, if church board members choose to deviate from the plan of the manufacturer, if they choose to design their own plans and their own strategies to build their own churches, there is a really good chance that at some point down the road, Jesus Christ is going to pull their licensure. The warranty will be void. Are you listening to me? Can I give you an illustration to support that? In the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus instructs the seven churches in Asia through John. And in chapter 3, Jesus tells John to write to the pastor of the church in Sardis, and he tells him to say this to the church of Sardis. Jesus speaking, I know your works, and I know that you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up! And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know the hour at which I come against you. Jesus says, I know. He says, I know that to everyone around you, it looks like you are alive and it looks like you are thriving. I see all the works. I see all the programs. I see all of the cool stuff that you're doing, but you are dead. Why were they dead? Because they had forgotten what they had received. They had forgotten what they had heard. Friends, what was that? It was the Word of God. He said, you have heard it, but you have not done it. You hear? You have heard it, but you have not kept it. James would say, you have heard the Word of God. You are hearers of the Word of God, but you are not doers of it. Keep it and repent. Keep it and repent. If you don't, he is going to void your warranty. He's going to pull your dealership. Friends, I wonder. I don't want you to think very deeply here. Be very contemplative here. I wonder, is it possible that there are many churches in the world today which are filled with works, they are filled with programs, they are doing a lot of stuff, and to all of the people around them, they have the reputation of being alive, but in all actuality, in fact, they are not alive, they are dead. Is that possible? They're hearers of the Word. They gather together, they hear it, they walk out the door, and they don't do it. That's what's going on. And as such, if they don't repent, and if they don't begin to do the Word of God as they received it, if they don't begin to do the Word of God as they heard it, their warranty is going to be voided. Do you understand, friends? What a sharp warning from the mouth of Jesus Christ Himself, the manufacturer of the church, the one who built and created the church. Do you know what happened to the church in Sardis? Can I tell you what happened to this church? It's gone. Now, in the little town of Sart, Turkey, which used to be the the city of Sardis, there are about 5,000 people. None of them are Christians. And there is not one single Christian church. It's gone. It's dead they didn't follow the manufacturer's assembly instructions. 
They didn't follow the manufacturer's guides. Listen to me, friends. If Root River Church, or any other church for that matter, is going to survive the current attacks from the gates of hell, if we intend to be here four more years or five more years, friends, you need to know that we must be sure to follow the manufacturer's plan. We have to follow his design. And I'm here to tell you that no matter how hard you try, If we stop following the plan of God for Root River Church, it will cease to exist. Well, as we come to the book of Acts this morning, we see God's design for the church. And I want to make sure that you understand this. This is critically important. So I'm going to take you right now to verse 42. And this is what it says. We're just going to look at the first part. It says that they, that being the new converts and the members of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I want to just stop right there. And I want to pause for just a moment to highlight this Greek verb that's translated, they devoted themselves. It's the Greek verb proskartereo, and it speaks of, listen to this, I want you to get this, let this sink in, an obstinate persistence. You hear that? They devoted themselves, it means there was an obstinate persistence. There was an obstinate persistence. And as I was looking around at some of the extra biblical use of that word, I found that it sometimes is used to say they faithfully remained in attendance at. Did you hear that? They faithfully remained in attendance at. In this case, it was, it was court or it was at trial proceedings. But it was the same word. They were obstinately persistent to continue to remain in attendance at the proceedings. I can remember as a kid, my dad had planted a church in the middle of a cornfield in, in Illinois. And, and when he had done that, I mean, we, we attended church. I mean, we went Sunday morning. We went Sunday night. We went Wednesday night. We were persistent in going to church, and we didn't miss. In fact, as a young boy, I'm pretty bright, you know, and I would say, Dad, I can't go today. Well, why not? Well, because I don't feel good, Dad. I'm really sick. And you know what he would say? Well, then if you're sick, church is the best place for you. I used to frustrate me to no end. Can I just tell you that if you're sick, church, don't come to church. All right, In this new environment, in this new age, I can't tell you to come to church if you're displaying symptoms of COVID. Please stay home. But my dad used to say, if you're sick, then the best place for you is in church. But we were committed. And it's the same kind of devotion that shows this obstinate persistence that in the middle of a Wisconsin winter, for some reason, a group of people would pack up a trailer early on a Sunday morning at 5.30 or 6 o'clock to pull it through the snow to carry carts full of equipment into a school gymnasium so that only 60 people would gather together and worship. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you been there? Obstinate persistence. Those people who loaded up that trailer and pulled it through the snow, carried equipment in and out, those were devoted people. They were committed to what they were doing. They believed in the work that God had called them to, and they were devoted. And friends, I wonder how many of us feel that we still have that same obstinate persistence deep down in our hearts. How many of us still have that? Do we still carry that same burden? Do you still feel the same burden you felt those years ago? Or do you feel that the opposition of the gates of hell have begun to take that from you? Are you still committed to the manufacturer's process? Or do you find reasons to go your own way? Hear me, friends. 
Do you find reasons to do your own thing? Or are you committed to the plan? The early church was committed. And what was it they were committed to? Well, take a look again at Acts 2.42 and you'll see. It tells us, listen, they were obstinately persistent, faithful in attendance to what? To the apostles' teaching. You see this? They were obstinately persistent in the apostles' doctrine. Friends, that's the model. We are to be obstinately persistent. We are to be faithfully, faithful in remaining in attendance in a place where we can receive the quality instruction from the revealed Word of God. You see? We are to be persistent and putting ourselves in a place where we can be instructed in quality teaching and the revealed truth of the Word of God. When God created the blueprint for the church, friends, the very first thing that He did was design the church to be a place where a qualified pastor, where a qualified teacher may stand up before the people and help the people understand the Word of God. Pastors are to read from the book. They are to read from the law of God clearly and give the sense of its meaning so that people understand the reading, Nehemiah 8.8. We've talked about this recently. And as James told us, God designed His church to be people who would be quick, who would hurry to faithfully put themselves in a place where they can receive that kind of instruction. Isn't that what James taught us? Friends, my heart truly is saddened and it truly is troubled by the staggering numbers of people that I'm hearing reported from many pastors who have just stopped putting themselves in a place where they can receive quality instruction from the Word of God. They've just stopped. And I truly fear that the church is beginning to demonstrate that it is more obstinately persistent that it is more devoted to its own personal matters than it is to its Savior and quality instruction from the Word of God. I'm worried about that. It scares me. And it's troubling to me as I look across not only our church, but the greater church, and I see what I'm afraid are the beginnings I'm a church body that's no longer obstinately persistent. It's no longer devoted to the Word of God and instruction in Scripture. I'm worried about that. Let me show you another thing they were obstinately persistent at. Take a look again at verse 42. This is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about that, but what else did they devote themselves to? To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. See, the next thing they were devoted to was fellowship. This is a very common word in the New Testament. It's koinonia, and it's a partnership. It's a joining together. It's a working together. This is what we have done all of these years, isn't it? Do you remember how we would do that as we were pulling the trailer through the snow and we would all work together to get it unloaded and we would have almost as many people show up to help unload the trailer and get things set up as we actually had in church. Do you remember that? We were persistent. We were working together. We were in a partnership. We were joining together. In fact, Luke defines this for us when he talks about the breaking of bread and prayers. That's what he says it means to be in fellowship together. Now I want us to include verse 44 here as it expands on the thought from verse 42. So let's jump down to verse 44. It says, all who believed were together, now listen, had all things in common. 
They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. We're not talking about socialism or communism. It's not what this is. Let me explain to you. I want to remind those of you who have been with us as you've been following online for the last several weeks of the context of chapter 2. This is what I want you to remember. Hundreds of thousands of Jewish people had traveled from all over the world. Do you remember that? There were hundreds of thousands of people who had traveled from all over the world to celebrate the Passover and the Pentecost feasts in Jerusalem. Now, of course, the inns at this point would have been completely filled. There would be not enough of them to care for all of the people who had made their way into the city of Jerusalem. And it was customary in Jerusalem during the times of the feasts for families to open their homes to travelers. Can you imagine that? There are a lot of people in town. What are we going to do? Well, we need to help them. Just open the doors and let them come in. So they would open the homes to their house. They would allow traveling families to come to their homes and live with them, in many cases, for more than 50 days. Talk about wearing out your welcome, right? And what makes it worse is not only did they live with them for 50 days, but they lived with them like it was their own house. They would go into the cabinets and pull out their pots and pans. They would throw stuff in the ovens. They would use all their utensils. They shared everything they had. Pilgrims came into town, had to care for them. Everyone shared everything that they had to help care for these Jews who were coming into town to celebrate. In fact, if you'll remember, they had all stayed for the 50 days from Passover, from Passover to Pentecost. And now the time had come for those who had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And they decided that they would stay even longer. You've been here 50 days. Just go home already. They'd start turning off the lights, Neil, and moving the chairs in and cleaning up the counters. And Neil says that I have this, this way of letting people know when it's time to go home. I just start turning off the lights, he says. It's not true. But, um, yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> he says, yes, it is true. <laughs> oh, boy. So as the families came, they'd be hard-pressed to support their guests for that long. Can you imagine? I mean, they didn't have the kinds of jobs that we have. They didn't have the luxury that we had. They didn't have the kind of income we had. And many of you couldn't support people for 50 days either, myself included. Imagine. And so they all began to chip in to help each other out. Can I just tell you that there's just something about making that kind of a financial sacrifice to help another believer that builds a sense of community. Did you know that? I mean, giving up your own thing so that you can help someone else creates a sense of community. You're invested. You're invested in them. Verse 42 says that they were breaking bread. It means that they were sharing together. I want you to imagine if you had a loaf of bread and I didn't, you would break it and you would say, here, you eat this. My family and I will live on what's left. It's breaking of bread. They're sharing so that the other family wouldn't go hungry. They were eating together. They were providing for one another. They were caring for one another. Do you know what they were doing? They were building a community. They were building a church community. Can I just ask you to be honest about something? Listen to this. How are you doing with church community right here at Root River Church? How are you doing with it? You see, God's model is for us to have that same obstinate persistence within our church community. Are you persistent in your church community? Are you obstinate about it? Like, I know we all have our own individual groups of personal friends. You can look across the room and you can see who they are. 
There are certain people who always sit together as maybe their families, maybe they're people who have been friends for their entire lives, and they all kind of grow together, don't they? That's kind of how it works. I want to say this humbly and with caution, but may I suggest to you that maybe that's not how it's designed to work. I'm not saying you shouldn't hang out with the people who are closest to you. That's what I do. But when was the last time you and your little group of friends stepped outside of your comfort zone to ask someone else from the church body to come in and join you? When was the last time you did that? Someone you wouldn't normally hang out with. When was the last time you invited somebody to life group? Friends, listen. When was the last time you went to life group? When was the last time you went to a men's or women's group? Well, Scott, that's not my thing. People in that group are weird. I won't argue that. I mean, they're exchanging socks with one another, all right? I mean, that's weird. I get that. I would never go to a men's group where we're exchanging socks, right? Because we're not going to do the nice, you know, I know how that would work. Honey, I forgot to grab the socks. Ah, just grab something out of the hamper. (laughs) Can you imagine how smelly that party would be, guys? (laughs) it may not be your thing, but it's God's design. You hear me? It may not be your thing, but that's God's design. And when you refuse to expand beyond your own little group, when you refuse to include others, when you refuse to participate in life groups and other groups where people from the body of Christ are present and gathering together, hear me say this, you are designing your own bicycle. You're designing your own model. You're using your own parts. That's not the design. You're using your own set of instructions. But Scott, you don't understand. I don't like crowds. I don't either, man. Scott, I need my personal time. I need some me time, some quiet time. I've worked a full day. I'm stressed out, man. When I get home, I need to crash. Listen, I do understand. Can I tell you that? I do understand it's not always convenient for you to sacrifice to build your community. It's not always about making you more comfortable. But you haven't seen some of the things he has said on social media. I could never share. I could never have close communion with that person. She doesn't share my views on this or on that, and there's no way I will ever hang out with that person. They can just stay away from me. I'll stay away from them. Right? Friends, that is not God's blueprint. And if you're doing that, you're using your own model, and you're not designing the bicycle according to the plan. That's yours. And you cannot expect God to bless that. Did you hear that? If that's your plan, don't expect God to bless that. You see, the gates of hell would love to create division in our church body. The gates of hell would love for you to take shots at one another and to fight over your political views. The gates of hell would love for you to be on opposite sides of social issues so that it can divide our church. The gates of hell would love to see you use social media to air your grievances about other people right here in the body of Christ. Listen to me. Those things are temporary. Those things are earthy. 
And when the earth passes away, so do all of those issues. And we've allowed them to cause huge divides in the kingdom of God. We must never allow ourselves to be those people who go to church or who tune in online to hear the Word of God only to allow the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things to enter in and to choke out the Word of God and it proves to be unfruitful. Those are the seeds that were thrown in the thorny soil in Mark 4.19. That's what that is. And can I tell you, it's made its way into the church. And if you're here today and you've allowed the cares of this world political, social, financial, otherwise, to choke out the clear instruction of God to be persistent and to be obstinately persistent in having fellowship with your Christian family, may I encourage you to stop it. Wake up. Jesus says, wake up. Keep the word you've been taught and repent. If another believer has issues with you, don't post it on the internet for everybody to see it. You go to them and you talk to them. In love, tactfully, lovingly, you work things out. If there's simply matters of personal preference, let it go. Don't hold on to bitterness. If you've been isolating yourselves from church community because you don't like policy, because you don't like this or you don't like that, or if you've been isolating yourselves from church community because you just don't like to hang out with those people, stop it. Find yourself a life group. Go to it. Build relationships. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Go to your men's and women's groups. Participate. Pray for one another. Friends, come to the New Year's Eve party and hang out with the body of Christ. Live a little life with them. Eat a little pizza with them. Enjoy your time together with them. Laugh at their form when they're bowling. Live life. Verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes that receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I know we're a little bit behind, but I want you to hang tight with me. We've got to draw this all together. So as they were sharing together and they were filled with the thanks for what they had and the generosity of other people in the church body, I want you to see what happened. What happened in verse 47? It tells us that they were doing what? They were praising God. Do you see that? When our relationships with God and when our relationships with others are right, it produces this thankfulness that wells up, this joy that just wells up in your hearts and it causes to spring forward in praise to God. Do you see that? When your relationships are right with one another, when your relationship is right with the Word of God, then this thankfulness and this joy will just well up in your hearts and you'll be overcome with praise. And friends, that's ultimately why we exist. Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created us for His glory. We have been created to praise Him and to give God glory. The purpose of the first church was no different than the purpose of Root River Church, and it's to exalt God and to give Him glory, you see? 
We are to serve the Lord with gladness. We are to come into His presence with singing Psalm 100. We are to make glad songs of salvation because those glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Songs of joy. Songs of the joy of salvation live wherever God's people live. They follow. They dwell with the people who are saved. Friends, we should enter His courts with thanksgiving and with joy and with praise. We should rush to the community of believers. We should run to the place where the Word of God is being taught with praise and joy in our hearts. And I was really happy and so excited that I, <laughs> I told my wife, you got to come here. I want to show you something. Yesterday as I was preparing this and I came across this, I made my way through this passage of Scripture and I was examining God's design for the church. Do you, friends, do you guys all see what just happened here? As we've been going through this, we said that it is God's plan, it is God's design for us to be obstinately persistent in hearing the teaching or the doctrine of the disciples or the apostles. Isn't that what we said? Now listen. We went on to find that we are to be obstinately persistent in fellowship with the body of Christ. Do you see that? And then we just discovered that a natural outflowing would be that of thanksgiving and that we would do what we are created to do, which is to do what? Praise God and give Him glory. Do you see that? That is God's design for the church. That is the blueprint. Can I say them to you again? His instructions and His plan is for you to have doctrine, praise, and fellowship. Do you know what we call that here at Root River Church? Word, worship, and community. That is the model. That is the right blueprint. Doctrine, fellowship, and praise. Word, worship, community, friends. That is God's design. And let me show you what happens when we are committed to that obstinately. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that why we're here, friends, when we properly assemble His church, when we properly put it together, when we follow the plan, people will be in awe of the work that God is doing right here at Root River Church, and they will want to be a part of it. And God will add to our numbers to those who are faithfully ministering according to His blueprint. When we were in the book of James, I said many times that we need to examine ourselves. You remember that? You probably got tired of hearing it. We need to examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. I said we need to do a gut check from time to time to see if our faith is genuine, to see if it's real. Listen closely to me, friends. I want you to know that it's with a humble heart this morning that I ask you if it may be time for Root River Church as it was time for the church of Sardis in the book of Revelation to wake up and to strengthen what remains and is about to die. I want you to know that I'm not in any way angry. I don't want to come across as angry. I am passionate. So please don't confuse my intent. But I want you to know that I feel that right now is God's appropriate time for us to do a self-examination and to see how healthy we truly are be honest. 
start by asking yourselves, how committed is my family to rush to the place where we hear quality instruction from the Word of God? Are you persistent? Are you obstinate? Do you say like my dad? Church is the best place for you then. Or is it pretty easy for you to find a reason to stay home? Is it pretty easy for you to find a reason to stay in bed? How obstinate are you in your persistence to engage with other believers in the church body right here at Root River Church? Are you committed to maintaining fellowship and the breaking of bread and living life with the other people right here in this room? Or are we divided and quarreling? Is Root River Church a place where your hearts are welling up with thanksgiving and praise? I mean, are you overcome with joy for the blessing that God has lavished on us? Or are you a little bit bitter? Are you a little bit disappointed? And are you allowing yourselves to become disengaged? Are you pulling back from those who mean the most to you? Because there's something there. There's a little bit of friction. I wonder, is God trying to tell us? Listen, friends. Remember then what you have received and heard. Is God trying to tell us to keep it? Is He telling us to repent? Do we need to worry that if Root River Church does not wake up, that He will come like a thief and we won't know at what hour He comes against us? I don't know about you, but I just don't ever want us to get there. Do you agree with that? I just don't ever want to get there. Let's be sure that as we continue to build God's church right here in Franklin, we do it according to His plan. Let's not come up with our own thing. Let's not go our own way. Let's follow the manufacturer's directions that our warranty can be validated. Father, I thank you so much for the kind attention of your people. God, I thank you for a gut check this morning. I pray that you would rekindle in my heart and for all of those who are here this morning who would say the same thing, I pray that you would rekindle in my heart a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. I pray, God, that you would rekindle in my heart a hunger and a thirst for the community and the fellowship of our fellow believers right here at Root River Church. Help us, God, to be obstinately persistent in attendance and to rush to a place where we're hearing the Word of God. Help us to be obstinate and persistent in our fellowship with one another and fill our hearts with praise, we pray. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.